What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, what's going on, my guy? I'm good, brother. Coming off a quick vacation, just, you know, recharged, ready to go. Guys, FYI, I am having some technical difficulties with my internet connection. I've tried resetting the router. I've tried fixing some things. Um, for whatever reason, I may come across a little laggy on your end on YouTube. Hopefully the audio comes through perfectly, but, you know, we're going to kind of push through. We're not going to waste any more time. So, guys, today we're going to go over a quick agenda. Um, we're going to go over the U.S. men's basketball team catching a f- fat, unnecessary L to France. You know I'm fully loaded and recharged for this take. Um, then we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers and the NFL news. Obviously, we're about four or five weeks out for the regular season, uh, and the NFL is right around the corner. Aaron Rodgers has decided that he is probably going to play out this season with the Packers on the condition that he can pretty much choose to play wherever he wants to next season. Kyle and I have pretty much decided in our minds it's equivalent to a player option. So contract details are still being worked on, but from what it looks like, uh, according to Schefter, and rap report, this is what it's going to be. So Aaron Rodgers might actually be having one final year in hoorah at Green Bay. And then we're going to talk about the latest news in terms of uh, Chandler Jones has requested a trade today from the Arizona Cardinals. Doesn't really make much sense considering the arrival of J.J. Watt and the resurgence of Arizona kind of getting better every year over the last couple of seasons. So definitely going to keep you guys posted on that. And then we're going to talk about the Madden ratings for position skilled players. So obviously Madden is coming out with ratings every couple of days for position players. They put the rookie ratings out first, and now I believe the receiver ratings came out today. Kyle and I are going to break down our opinions and thoughts on who should be up there, who shouldn't be. And to close out the episode, Kyle and I have decided to do a kind of a prediction per division over the next couple of weeks across the NFL. Today we're going to start with the AFC East and where we think they're going to finish up and stand at the end of the season. So with all of that being said, Kyle, super excited to get this started. So, I mean, I know what I want to say about the U.S. men's basketball team because I've had this literally locked and loaded since early this morning. Do you have anything you want to say before I pop off? No, I'm just going to set you up for this layup, my guy. I'm going to set you up for this alley-oop. So. I will pull up the, the link for you guys so you guys can see it on YouTube real quick. So this is the box score of the last game that the United States played in the Olympics. So this was their first game. We're not talking about exhibition games. This is for real. This is their first official Olympics matchup against France. And as you can see, France did win the game by the score of 83-76. to 76. It came as quite a shock as the United States. This was their first loss. Since 2004, you're going on over a decade plus. You're talking about three Olympic appearances without suffering a loss in Olympic play when it actually matters. And it came as quite a shock to a lot of United States fans after this surprising loss to France. Now, Kevin, I know you've been saving up for this pretty much the last couple of days. You're ready to rock and roll. Just give me your... <clears throat> stance on where you see the United States basketball at this current moment? Um, I think we're out in a couple of weeks or a couple of days. If I'm being blunt, I think we suck. I think we're absolutely atrocious. I think that a lot of these players do not deserve to be on this team based on attitude alone, based on their, their posture, their, their, their care, their determination, their motivation to play this game for their country. I really think that this team was just I don't want to say poorly assembled because there's still good talent on this team, both young and older. 
And yet they just do not know how to work together. They do not know how to perform. I know my last take on this was a little bit more animated, but I'm just going to be really truthfully and brutally honest. The fact that the United States basketball team is losing to these smaller countries, granted France is bigger than a lot of these other countries because they have always been a, a formidable, at least decent opponent. You know, obviously Spain, Argentina, and these other countries are usually the teams we kind of struggle with in history. But France is no small feat. So I'm not going to sit here and say that they suck, but they suck because this, this, this roster as it is constructed should not come anywhere near close to the USA team at all. I mean, on paper, we've already discussed the lineup that the, the, that the men's team has. It's even if LeBron, Steph, Harden, and these players aren't on this team, this, this basketball team should still annihilate the entire world. The United States is known for so many different things, especially come Olympic time. Basketball is our thing. Like Kyle said, we haven't lost since 04. And you're telling me we have not only lost once, not twice, but this is the third loss, even though this is the only one that really counts. We have literally lost three times already. There's no excuse. There's, there's, I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for them or, or, or say that, you know, or, you know, maybe they had a long night or maybe, you know, coping or, you know, like they don't have a lot of chemistry together. No, absolutely not. Weeks ago, we were talking about the USA team complaining about not getting any uh, getting any calls like they do in the NBA. So that already shows that they're they're soft. You know that that younger core of players has been saying you know all of these different things throughout this this I don't know time together. It's always something different. Now the latest thing that's come out is a lot of these younger players are saying that Greg Popovich is making them play the Spurs way. I'm not going to sit here and let anybody slander one of the greatest coaches in NBA history since Phil Jackson. He's a five-time NBA champion. He has coached some of the best players in NBA history and one of the greatest dynasties we've seen in our generation in the Spurs. And you're going to tell me that you non-experienced young bucks are going to come out here and say it's Greg's fault for you not playing hard, for you not playing defense, and your inability to score the basketball when you're literally on this earth for this one job? No. You're you're not you just no I'm not going to allow it like Greg Popovich is not the problem they are the problem and you know what the problem is when we look at this box score we have some of the best players in the world scoring absolute donuts or close to donuts our leading scorer was Drew Holiday who mind you is coming off of an NBA championship and who just got there a week ago eighteen points Drew Holiday was averaging like 45 minutes a game in the NBA Finals, and it played all six games, every game in the postseason, almost every game in the regular season. So he is literally exhausted, and he is outscoring Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard, Bam Adebayo, Zach Levine, players who have been playing together for the last two to three weeks on this Olympic tour. And he comes in right off the bench, and he puts in 28 minutes and scores 18 points. Unacceptable. Kevin Durant, a top three player in this league, 10 points, 4 of 12. Damian Lillard, one of the most clutchest players in the league this season, 11 points. Bam Adebayo was the second leading scorer with 12 points and 10 boards. Not mad at Bam. Bam also had a block and two steals. Definitely not mad at Bam. But then you have Draymond Green, 21 minutes, 2 points. Zach Levine, 8 points, 18 minutes. Jason Tatum, one of the best up-and-coming rising stars under the age of 25, 9 points. I've, 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 gen- I've had enough. Bro, these players play so hard in the NBA. They play so much harder because they're getting paid because it's their team. 
You represent the United States of America, and you're going to sit here and play half-ass defense, half-ass offense, no hustle, no determination, no drive to want to win or succeed. I'm absolutely not going to tolerate any slander. This team has looked nothing short of soft in every facet of the word and lazy. Are you kidding me? In the last three and a half minutes, this team scored two points. France comes back. Basically on a Kyle, what was the exact run? Like a thirteen to two run to win the game or something something of that sort? Sixteen to two. Sixteen to two run. You have Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Zach Levine, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton, Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, JaVel McGee. Don't why he's on the team. Uh whoever this Kelvin Johnson guy is, I don't even Kelvin. know his real name. Kelvin. Whatever. And Draymond Green. And you're gonna tell me this team is worse than France. Guys, let me tell you who the hell was on the French team, okay? Nick Batum, Rudy Gobert, Evan Fournier, and Frank Nitalikina. And Nitalikina didn't play. So basically, you lost to Evan Fournier, Nick Batum, and Rudy Gobert. Evan Fournier was on the Boston Celtics, acquired by from the Orlando Magic, who was averaging like 20 points per game this past season prior to going to Boston. And he just got off of a playoff disgusting, embarrassing run, averaging maybe like eight points a game against one of the NBA's worst historic teams defensively in the Brooklyn Nets. And there was maybe one game where he scored double digits in five games. You're telling me Evan Fournier is literally going to wrap up, turn around, reload, and because he's playing for France, he's going to drop 28 points? Evan Fournier was playing in the NBA like a month ago. He dropped 28. Evan Fournier was shooting 50% from the field. When the fuck was the last time he scored like 20 points? Like, can can someone, now I'm going to get animated. Can someone tell me why we're losing to Evan Fournier right now? Like, are you Nick Batum had 31 minutes, who basically led the team in minutes other than two other players. He had five. Are Are you kidding me right now? Rudy Gobert? 14 points. He was out-rebounded by Bam, and we still lost. Defensive player of the year, my ass. He had no blocks. He had no steals. He had nothing. Where the fuck is Kevin Durant? Where the fuck is Damian? Damian Lillard's majority of his shot attempts were from behind the arc. He was 3 of 10 from the field. He was 3 of 9 from the, from the three-point line. Guys, I've said this pretty much throughout my entire life. If the shot not fallen... Attack the basket. There's no reason for you to be shooting that many volume of threes. Bro, it it ain't happening. You act like you're not Damian Lillard. Bro, put the ball on the floor, attack the basket, shoot free throws. Kevin Durant, one of six. Stop shooting. You're seven feet. You literally act like you're not taller than the entire France roster other than Rudy Gobert. You're back to the basket, post fade, mid-range jump shot. You have some of the best handles at your height. And you're going to tell me you're going to get so cocky and arrogant, you're just going to pull up from all over the field. That's enough. All they want is ISO basketball to show off. That's the problem with this generation. That's the problem with this team. They're all isolation players. Kevin Durant, one of the best scorers, if not the best scorer I've ever seen in my life. Pure, just unadulterated scoring off of my opinion alone. One of the best people I've ever seen try to put the ball in the basket. And for the majority of his career, he's been an over 30-point-per-game average scorer. And he's going to sit here and choke this bad on a global stage. Jason Tatum, ISO player. Devin Booker, ISO player. 
Damian Lillard, ISO player, and, and so, so on and so forth. The only team-oriented players on this roster, truthfully, Drew Holiday, Draymond Green, and Bam Adebayo. Everybody else is an ISO player. And we still suck. You're telling me you can't beat the matchup of, of Yabusele, Decolo? Like, who the fuck are these people, bro? You're going up against NBA talent day in, day out, whether it's practice or in-game, and you're struggling to no names. We don't deserve to be here. I say everybody gives their ticket, their key card, whatever it is they use to get into facilities to a team that's never been in the Olympics. Because this team just straight up don't deserve to be here. I'm not trying to take away anything from France. I'm not saying they don't deserve this win or saying that they haven't put any effort forward. But this team, in reference to the United States, should not lose. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. With the roster that's been constructed, with or without the major star power in the country. I can't, I'm not tolerating any of this. Popovich ain't the problem. It's y'all, bro. Y'all need to sit back and reevaluate what the fuck you complained about and go play basketball. To kind of like put this into perspective, I thought Evan Fournier had a really good quote after the game when he was saying that, don't get me wrong, Team USA individually, they're superstars. Like they're really good individually. But as a team, that they, they can't be beat. And that's what we saw against France in the first matchup in the Olympics so far. And just to kind of pull up the box score again, I'm looking at these numbers from Team USA. And I'm just absolutely astounded by the fact that they can't score. You're talking about Kevin Durant, one of the most prolific scorers in NBA history. He's 4 of 12 in the field. He scores 10 points. Damian Lillard, 11 points on 3 of 10 shooting. Jason Tatum, one of the most electrifying players on the age 25, not playing up to snuff. I mean, this is very troubling as far as Team USA goes. And... When I look at it from this perspective, I think they'll be able to correct it, but they got to correct it really quickly because this team needs to be playing lights out offensively. If this team can't score, they don't have the defensive presence to slow down other teams. Granted, you're going to go up against some pretty formidable opponents. France is a good one, but there will be others. You're talking about Spain. You're talking about possibly Argentina. I know Argentina got whopped by USA in the exhibition rounds. But still, there are some good opponents out there that the United States has to contend with. And if they can't score, then they're going to have to shore up defensively to hold these teams to low scoring totals. I'm just astounded by the fact that the United States couldn't even break 80 points. That's unacceptable. You have prolific scores, like I mentioned, and the best that you could put up is in the 70s offensively it was like you mentioned a couple weeks ago Kevin Durant was playing against the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round of the playoffs he dropped 48 points in game seven and he's going out against France who is a respectable opponent he's he's not even anywhere close to that type of production nowhere near that Kevin Durant is a top two top three player in the NBA and the best that he could put up is 4 of 12 from the field? Are you kidding me? That's unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. I have to say, it is the players. The players are not playing well. If people if people want to say and complain about, oh, well, Greg Popovich is instilling San Antonio's offense into how the United States is running their offense for the Olympics, I don't want to hear it. I simply do not want to hear it because 
this team should be at least scoring 95, at least 100-plus, in my opinion, when you have these types of scores out on the court. But they're not getting it done. And as far as I'm concerned, they got to fix this quick. Because if they don't, they could find themselves in a situation where they could be out of the Olympics fairly quickly. And if that were to happen, it would be unimaginably embarrassing for Team USA. It would be just unrecognized. Like, I couldn't tell you, like, the, the levels of degrees, like, of how bad that would be is just amazing to me. So they got to get it together as far as I'm concerned, man. There's really nothing else for me to say other than that. <clears throat> to put it into perspective, I know I didn't mention this in the agenda, and I totally botched this and forgot. Guys, Slovenia beat Argentina last night by one with one person. You know, do y'all know who this person is? I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just throw that out there. You know, I know the audience obviously can't respond to me, but I'm just gonna put it out there for the sake of this episode. Luka fucking Doncic scored 48 points in his first Olympic game that actually mattered. 48, 11, and five with three blocks. A 22-year-old kid with zero Olympic experience dropped 48. This man was averaging 30 points a game in the playoffs and is averaging damn near... Well, there's no really average since they've only played two scrimmage games in this game. So, But, you know, point blank. 48 points. Are you, like... Like, what... What? 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 (laughs) Kyle, help me out here, bro. Does that make any sense to you? Because the sure shit don't make no sense to me. If Luca's out here dropping buckets alone on a roster with nobody else that's in the NBA, at least to my knowledge, and I apologize if there is anybody that's on this roster in the G League or anything of that sort, but to my knowledge, all of these players are European or just outside of the NBA players, and Luka Doncic single-handedly carried them to a win. Not just a win, a blowout win. Wow. Looks like somebody... Looks like somebody wants it more than the others. And the way that I currently see it, apparently Luke is just going to go out there and try to make Slovenia as competitive as possible compared to the United States, who at this point, they're more upset about in practice drills where Bam is holding the ball. Kevin Durant gets pissed about it and they do a whole little Twitter beef, whether that was for real or for not. It really kind of goes to show where the United States priorities are when it comes to their Olympic run this year. I look, Luca is one of the most electrifying players in the NBA currently, and he's proving it on the world stage in the Olympics. And as he should, this guy is dynamite. He's electric. And for him to go out there, put 48 in the first game, that's sending a statement. Granted, I don't know if Slovenia is going to be competing for a gold medal. More than likely, they're going to do their best if they are able to medal out of all of the basketball teams in the Olympics. That'd be amazing for Slovenia. But despite that, even if they weren't to get get a gold medal, they're going to go out there and compete like they're going to try to get it. And Luka, whether he's going to do it by himself or with some of the role players that he currently has on the team, they're going to do everything that they can. And that's just... That's just pride. That's pride for your own country to go out there and try to perform for not just yourselves, 
performing for a country. And you have to give a lot of credit to Luca just going out there and dominating. And the USA should take some notes. To me, the way that I look at it with the United States, they're just doing a walk in the park right now. They're getting comfortable. Kobe Bryant had a commercial for FIBA back in 2019. And his one message, he's saying this beyond the grave now, is that the United States can't get comfortable. Well, the United States is getting comfortable and they're getting losses to France in the first matchup of the Olympics. So you have one side of the coin where Luca is just going out there and doing whatever he can for Slovenia. And you have the United States that has prolific scores in Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard, and they can't even shoot 50% from the field. Are you kidding me? They can't even get over 80 points. It really kind of goes to show the difference in just hustle and effort compared to when you look at the comparison of the United States versus Slovenia. Slovenia wants it more right now. And unless the USA gets it together sooner rather than later, Slovenia is going to look like a much more compelling team to watch than the United States because the United States right now, that result against France, that was embarrassing. You know, you're supposed to beat the brakes off of France. Granted, I know France has some good players. You know, they have Evan Fournier. They have Rudy Gobert. They have Frank. I'm just saying. on the same thing with Australia. No, three players don't quantify against eight superstars. Bro. Evan Fournier dropped almost 30 points on their head. I mean, can I interest okay. you? Okay, Patty can, can can Mills had 23. Can I interest you in a 30-point performance? Because I'm looking at the United States. They can't give me that right now. Where am I going to find it? Who's going to do bro, it? I ain't, I ain't giving nobody no slack, bro. You know why? Because Luis Scola is 50 years old, dropping damn 23 points for Argentina to be competitive. That boy on the Nuggets, I forget his first name, but Compazazo, whatever the hell his name is, who barely got any points in the postseason this year, he had 21 points. So if players like that can score, there's no reason why Kevin Durant can't drop 50 in the Olympics, bro. This man, Luis Scola, has been playing since we were in middle school. He's literally my parents' age, and he is scoring 23 points on the grandest stage of them all in terms of world route, world worldwide basketball. 23. It, it's worth mentioning. Evan Fournier. He hasn't said. been. He hasn't been in the league since we were in college, like our freshman year of college, bro. That was like eight years ago. That was a while ago. But it's like Evan Fournier mentioned: the United States individually, they're fine. They're great. They have great players. But as a team, as the way that this roster is constructed, it's not working right now. They've only had one game. The first game with. The, they had against France and then all the exhibition games where they scored over hundred points. And that was the game against Argentina where they won by basically 30 since then they have struggled to get anything offensively going. Kevin Durant going four of 12 in the field. Are you kidding me? You're talking about Kevin Durant here, Damian Lillard, three of 10. He can't get it together. Jason Tatum. Where are you, bro? They need to start putting out loss posters on, Street corners because I can't find these guys. Gotta like, put them on milk cartons these, or something. These guys are essentially the top of the line for the United States, and they're putting up measly numbers. Yet you got Luca in his first Olympic performance, and he's going out there and damn, you're putting up 50. fifty. Almost hit fifty. Somebody wants it more than the other, and I, the way that I see it, Luca just wants it more. 
United States, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum. I don't know where those guys are right now, but certainly not focused. They're certainly not focused on what's important here. And that's trying to get a gold medal for the United States. If they're taking L's from France, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's embarrassing. Yeah. And I can go on and on and on about this literally all night long, but I'm going to transition into the topic that everyone's really talking about on sports. And that's Aaron Rodgers deciding to potentially play this season with the green Bay Packers. Obviously, everybody should be aware at this point that Aaron Rodgers has been very upset with the front office of the Green Bay Packers, has pretty much said publicly, I'm not playing this season unless you trade me. Um, some would say it's kind of a diva move. Some would say it's, it's, uh, it's not a good move or a good look for him, him being one of the better players in the NBA over the, the course of the last decade or so. And you're going to sit here and tell me that he doesn't have a right to be upset. He has no leg to stand on. He needs to put his ego aside and so on and so forth. Well, now all of that seems to be getting put to bed because Aaron is looking to play the season out on the condition that he gets to choose the team he goes to next season. So, Kyle, question to you is, do you think that that ultimatum was well worth it? Do you think that it played in favor of Aaron Rodgers' advantage? Or do you think that maybe if this season goes well, he'll he'll change his tune? Well, it's all dependent on this year. That's really the main focus here. Because what Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers were able to agree to was a reworked contract where it stipulated he essentially has a player option after this season. So let's say, for example, I'm just saying hypothetically, the Packers get into the playoffs, they go to the Super Bowl. Even with that, whether he gets to the Super Bowl or not, at the end of the season, they're going to have the option, or he's going to have the option to either stay with them or look potentially elsewhere. Now, if he stays again next year, it's the same thing the year after. So he actually has two player options going into the next two years into the future. So that is kind of one thing to note. As far as this season goes for the Packers, you have to go all in. Go all in. You have to try to get this Super Bowl. It has been a decade since this team has been to a Super Bowl. They have been competitive. They've been to, I believe, four NFC championships since their last Super Bowl appearance. And they've had some bad breaks, had some bad bounces, specifically in the one against Seattle in the 2014-2015 season where they blew the onside kick that would essentially won them the game. And I looked to last year. They had home field advantage for an NFC championship game against Tom Brady and the Bucks, and they just couldn't get it done. And Aaron Rodgers, look, in that fourth quarter, he had multiple opportunities to get that team to the Super Bowl, to get them that win against Tampa. And he couldn't get it done. He couldn't execute in the moments that mattered in that game. So the way that I see it with Aaron Rodgers is he has to replicate what he was able to do during the regular season last year. That's why he was the MVP last year. He was sensational last year. He was phenomenal. At age 37, he was great. But now he will go into this year, he will finish the season at 38. I don't know how many years left he's going to be able to keep on doing this. If he's able to keep doing what he did last year, I think he'll have plenty of years left in the NFL. But with Green Bay, I think this is it. You know, they they both posted, meaning Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams posted that picture on Instagram of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, where they were essentially referring to the Last Dance uh, documentary that ESPN uh, did last year. And that was kind of their message saying, this is pretty much it. You know, one last hurrah. Let's try to get this Super Bowl. 
in Green Bay before we're out. And that's where I kind of see this going. I think this will be Aaron Rodgers last year in Green Bay. I don't see him returning after this year. If they win a Super Bowl, that that may change things. So I may have to amend that statement once we get into the actual season and if we get into the postseason, if the Packers end up making it there. But from where I see it currently, just with the tension that's been building throughout the years between Aaron Rodgers' camp and Green Bay and Green Bay side, I think that this is it. Unless Green Bay wins a Super Bowl, I think Aaron Rodgers is out after this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if Devontae Adams tries to join him wherever he goes if he ends up leaving Green Bay after this year. So obviously, like you brought up Devontae Adams, and up to this point, other than the news today with Aaron Rodgers, the Packers have been trying to extend or get into the further discussions of a contract extension with Devontae Adams. And now that Aaron has kind of just came out and said, you know, like, I'm going to play one more year, they've, like you just said, pretty much come to the conclusion that this is it for the both of them. Like, I'm done. This is going to be our last year. And they're going to do it together. Because obviously Devontae Adams had no interest in coming back to Green Bay if Aaron wasn't going to be there. He's already said publicly, hey, this is my quarterback. Hey, I'm no, I'm nothing without this guy, and so on and so forth. And obviously, Aaron has paid a lot of homage and given a lot of respect to Devontae Adams and his performance over the last couple of years as well, becoming one of the better, if not the best, uh, wide receivers in the game. So I just want to go out there and say the fact that this is going in the direction that it has and the fact that literally any news with Aaron Rodgers has kind of transcended into news of Devontae Adams it means to me they're both 100% gone. So, Kyle, I couldn't agree with you anymore because if Green Bay does not hoist that Lombardi trophy at the end of this season, there is absolutely 0% chance of either of those two players coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, that's... It, it has to... It, that's why I said Green Bay has to go all in this year. They have to try to win a Super Bowl this year to have any shot of retaining Aaron Rodgers going into next year. Listen, if they're able to make it work, Great. You know, nothing would nothing would make Green Bay happier if Aaron Rodgers and the boys bring back another Lombardi trophy, their first one in over a decade. Like, I think Green Bay fans would be ecstatic about that. But if they don't, yeah, you can pretty much guarantee that I think Aaron Rodgers will be out of there. And then after that, it's, it's Jordan Love. So I know there's a lot of, there's been a lot of issues with Aaron Rodgers about Green Bay drafting Jordan Love back two years ago and if things don't work out this year then you're definitely going to see some Jordan Love uh, action going into Green Bay next year it wouldn't surprise me so that's just kind of um, where the tea leaves kind of be where the tea leaves are pointing right now so it's just it's a very fluid situation and I'll tell you this though if it starts going downhill for Green Bay this year you think Aaron Rodgers is just going to lose interest or you think he's going to try to rally this team to get them uh, into some sort of playoff contention if it doesn't necessarily go the way that they expect it to. Again, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is the type of person to quit on the team. Granted, this is the offseason, so I know people are going to say, oh, he's quitting now. Like, no, 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 no. This is the offseason where it doesn't affect them, like, actually on the field in their record. If Aaron, for whatever reason, feels that this isn't going the way that he wants it to go, or if Green Bay legitimately just starts losing or underperforming, I do not put it past Aaron Rodgers to just say, listen, I tried to give you guys a shot. I asked for a trade. This obviously is not working for either of us. He might hold out and say, trade me. He might request a trade again midseason, and he might just sit here and say, you know what, forget it. And depending on the market for other teams that are going to be looking for quarterbacks, a.k.a. Denver, and excuse me, all of the other suitors that are out there this season, who's to say they're not doing bad as well? So 
I don't even know if Green Bay is going to be able to stay true to their thing because if Green Bay gets a good enough offer, um, I don't see why they wouldn't trade him either, especially if they're having a bad year. Like, why not pull the trigger now rather than wait the year? Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, then his trade value is gone, and then you're stuck with him. So, you know, the NFL is an interesting business, organization, whatever terminology you want to use because everybody likes to talk the talk. But when it comes to walk the walk, very few are actually about that action. And if Green Bay isn't doing well, don't be surprised, like Kyle said, if, if Aaron's definitely on the move a lot sooner than expected. Yeah, it's just, it's weird to see something like this, you know, taking place about, what, a month and a half before the season, where somebody's contract's getting completely reworked to essentially allow that player to have the the freedom or the choice to end up on a different team or to have the freedom to choose wherever they want to go after this season. I mean, they did agree to the fact that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to play out the season. So that's where things currently stand. But it's like I said, it's going to be a very fluid situation and it's going to be one to monitor throughout the entirety of the season. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, speaking of off season, obviously we're getting really, really close. Like Kyle said to the regular season and another prime target, not prime target, Another big-time name, not as big as Aaron, but at least, you know, big on the defensive side of the football, uh, pass rusher, elite pass rusher, Pro Bowl, All-Pro uh, pass rusher. Chandler Jones has requested a trade from the Arizona Cardinals, and he has been verbally and physically unhappy with his contract and has missed off-season workouts as a result of the contract dispute. Uh, this is from Jeremy Fowler on ESPN. Um, they do not wish to trade Jones and expect him to report the training camp, which begins this Tuesday. Jones is 31 years old and plans to have a big year coming off the surgery on his bicep. And the Cardinals have obviously added J.J. Watt. Despite, despite past unhappiness, a source said Jones is viewed as a great guy in the organization and is said to be pivotal as a part of the Arizona Cardinals defense this year. And the, chief, and the team that genuinely does not publicly discuss contract details regarding its players. That being said... After this season, Chandler Jones is expected to be a free agent regardless. So Chandler wants the bag. It seems that Arizona is hesitant to give him that bag, especially coming off of this bicep injury. Kyle, your thoughts on this entire process? Well, the way that I currently see it, you kind of said it without actually saying it in your lead up to it. Chandler Jones is 31 years old. And the way that I currently see it is Chandler Jones's NFL career is not going to be that much longer. So I feel like this is a situation where he was going into this year trying to get a contract extension that would essentially be the last big contract of his NFL career. Because whether he gets it with the Cardinals or he gets it next year um, when he goes to be a free agent, you know, he could expect some pretty big dollars coming his way wherever he goes, whether it's with Arizona or a new team, but that's going to be his last one. So whether it's a three-year deal or a four-year deal, he's going to try to maximize his value as much as possible when it comes to these contract negotiations. I'm actually kind of disappointed that these reports are coming out of Chandler Jones uh, wanting a trade out of Arizona because, listen, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I thought the, the duo of... J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones would be something to behold, especially on the defensive side of the ball for Arizona. Their pass rush has always been stout with Chandler Jones just constantly getting to the quarterback for them. 
And he's lived up and exceeded expectations as far as I'm concerned in that regard. And I would have just assumed that it would have continued with J.J. Watt right alongside him this season. However, with those contract disputes going on, it makes it a lot more difficult to see that reality happen. And I, I'm just kind of disappointed because I thought that this this duo would be really fun to watch. Now, I'm saying it like Chandler Jones has been traded. He hasn't been traded yet. But there's a lot of momentum saying that he wants to get out. He's not happy about the current situation and he's looking elsewhere. But I think for, for him this year, coming off of that bicep injury last year, like you mentioned, his best thing, I think, moving forward is to stay with Arizona. If he's looking to get out of Arizona next year, so be it. I'm just saying invest everything you have into the Cardinals this year. Try to maximize your value as much as possible by getting to the quarterback, getting the most amount of sacks possible. So then that way you go into free agency next year with every team looking at you possibly paying up to, I don't know, 10 to $15 million a year if he's able to get that, if he has a fantastic season this year. I mean, honestly, coming off of a major injury like a biceps injury, for a player that's in his upper 30s or in his 30s at least, Going into a contract year is it's hard for a front office to go and give you that bag of security. It's not like you underperformed the season before. It's not like you um, were injured in and out. Like you had a major surgery. We're talking about a whole biceps tendon surgery, which is massive and important to all football players. You need your arms to do pretty much everything, and you're a pass rusher. So your arms and your legs are the most important pieces to that, I guess, tool, which is your body. Because you have to be able to bull rush, evade, everything that, that, that encompasses being a, an elite pass rusher in the NFL. And we all know over the course of the last five years, Chandler Jones has been one of the best and the most consistent. So the Cardinals not giving him money isn't because they don't believe he can do it. It's because the age plus the injury and the money that they're going to have to give somebody that could end up getting hurt again would be too big of a risk. And I think NFL players that get like this, they kind of do that whole diva thing of, well, you're not going to pay me, so I want to trade. That's just not the way to go about things. If you are trying to secure enough money for your family, go out there, put focus on your game, and say, you know what, you're not going to pay me, I'm going to prove it to you. And I know that a lot of players, especially former players, are going out there and saying publicly at least, no, man, you got to stand up for what you believe in. You definitely have to go get that bag because if you get hurt, then you're not going to get anything ever again. And that's the unfortunate risk of playing professional sports because that is also true. If you get hurt again, you're not even going to get anywhere close to the contract you had before from any team because now you're coming off back-to-back injuries. So I definitely understand Chandler's point of view. I also understand the Cardinals. It's a 50-50 split of wanting to get paid before an injury or wanting to get paid as insurance and then obviously having to prove yourself. So who's to say who's right? It's definitely a thin line. I'm leaning towards the side of the Arizona Cardinals just because from a business decision, which everybody continuously has to remind us that all sports are now becoming a business oriented focus. I'm not paying somebody if they're getting older and they're coming off a big injury. That's just my opinion. But I do think that with the addition of JJ Watt, it's going to make the stress and the double teams on Chandler Jones a little bit less frequent. So he might have a big season and he might end up getting a big payday, whether from the Cardinals or from somebody else. Chandler Jones has still got it left in the tank. He's a very motivated and determined player. He's a hard worker. Obviously we all know the Jones family is an incredible lineage of athletic gifted individuals. So who's to say that, you know, Chandler Jones is a do up for a career year this year. 
Yeah, I mean, that's really the best that I could hope for. I think everybody wants to see him succeed and try to maximize his value as much as he can going into free agency. It's just, it's like you mentioned. It's going to be, he's 31 currently, correct? Yeah. You know, especially when you're coming off a bicep injury, those are always difficult. Those are always difficult injuries to come back from. So we're definitely going to have to monitor that as the season starts and as it progresses. But really the main issue about Arizona is not their pass rush. It's mostly their secondary. Their secondary has been looking like burnt chicken the last couple of years or so. That's really where that team is really kind of, I guess, been held back to a certain extent just because they do not have the, they, they really don't have the secondary production that they used to. Patrick Peterson is no longer there anymore. And you're left in a situation where you're going to have to expect some younger guys to step up into some pretty big shoes. And they really have yet to do that. So I think if you're Arizona, you have to put in a lot of, you have to put some investment into Chandler Jones this year, because if he's going to dip before the season starts by asking for a trade, Arizona's defense is going to look mighty suspect going into this year. Yeah, you ain't lying, bro. And speaking of suspect, the Madden ratings are coming out. And as we do every year, individually and now together, we're going to talk about some of these ratings on whether they're fact or cap. Because if I'm being completely honest with you, every year I have a problem with these ratings. Because I feel like these creators, these people at EA, gas these players up based off of a lot of outlying factors or something that's just completely inaccurate. And today we're just going to discuss really quick the wide receiver aspect of the Madden ratings. So Kyle, I have it pulled up, at least just the overall top 10 receivers that Madden has rated. Um, I'm going to go over them really quick. Number one, of course, the only 91, or excuse me, the only 99 overall in regards to the wide receiver core, Devontae Adams. Number two is going to be DeAndre Hopkins. Number three is going to be Tyree Kill. Four, Stephon Diggs. Five, Julio Jones. Six, Michael Thomas. Seven, Keenan Allen. Eight, Amari Cooper. Nine, Mike Evans. And 10, Allen Robinson. So, Kyle, first, I'm going to ask you, do you think that this list is accurate in terms of the best 10 receivers in the league? And do you believe that someone else should be in this top 10? No. I think the only one that I might have, well, I'll say this, just so we're fully transparent here. Kevin and I were slightly disagreeing about one particular receiver, and that is Tyreek Hill. So Tyreek Hill was given a 98 overall rating. He's tied with DeAndre Hopkins in that regard. Now, the way that I currently see it is that Tyreek Hill is one of the best receivers in the game. That goes without saying. He's been one of the most productive receivers for the Kansas City Chiefs and with Patrick Mahomes being the quarterback, it definitely goes a long way to bolstering a all-pro career. That just kind of goes without saying. I do want to mention the fact that Tyreek Hill, in one of the biggest matchups of the game, matchups of the year last year against the Buccaneers, Chiefs versus Bucks, it was one of the most highlighted regular season games last year. Had 200 yards receiving. In the first quarter, was absolutely going off. He ended up having like 13 catches, 260 yards receiving, and three touchdowns. He was unbelievable in that game. And to a certain extent, that's one of the reasons why I think 
Tyreek Hill is rated so highly is the fact of the matter is, is that don't get me wrong. Like Tyreek Hill is one of the fastest receivers in the game, if not the fastest player in the NFL, but it's more than just speed. He performs in the biggest moments for the chiefs. Granted, I know it didn't go well for the chiefs in the Super Bowl this past year. That's more of a credit to Tampa's defense for making life unbearable for Patrick Mahomes in that game. But Tyreek Hill is a constant for the Kansas City Chiefs. And granted, there are great receivers. Julio Jones, one of the best receivers of this generation. DeAndre Hopkins, same thing goes to him. The only difference, though, is that when I look at the last couple years or so, Tyreek Hill has outperformed those guys in the moments that matter. Throughout the entirety of the season, DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best receivers in the game. He had over like 115 catches last year. And not only that, you have other wide receivers like Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs who are just putting up massive numbers. It's just in the moments that matter, Tyreek Hill has stepped up. He's performed and exceeded expectations. So I got to give a little bit of respect to Tyreek Hill in that sense. Was he the biggest statistical leader last year? No. But he's money when it counts. And that does count for something. So when I look at the rest of the the receiver, the receiver numbers, Devontae Adams clearly deserves that number one spot. He was one of the most electrifying receivers last year for the Packers. I mean, the guy had like 18 touchdowns, was two away from 20. Absolutely phenomenal. Insane, he was, bro. He caught, oh, he caught over three quarters of his targets last year from Aaron Rodgers. That goes without saying. He's phenomenal. I thought one number, I thought one player that maybe deserved a little bit of a higher rating, maybe you might disagree, just based off of the year that he had last year, I thought Stephon Diggs was outstanding last year. I wouldn't have necessarily minded him maybe getting a 98 here, but a 97, I mean, that's still really high. So, you know, you're talking about one point difference here. Is it really going to make that much of a difference? Not really, but you know, maybe, maybe I could have seen him getting a 98 and then pretty much everybody else is either going to be mid nineties or lower. Don't get me wrong. They're phenomenal receivers, but there's a difference between, those receivers that are in like the, the mid, the lower 90s, and those upper 90s. Those upper 90s, you have to be at the top of your game consistently from beginning to end last season. And I think the top part, I'm saying for me personally, like the top five receivers, I think they got right with the ratings. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely agreeing of them being top five. Obviously, my thing is when you list these receivers, in essence, I know they're not saying it in – the sense of these are the best receivers in the game uh, uh, completely overall and all around. But to me, that's how I'm taking it. Because when you're portraying something in a video game, when you're giving me something to say, hey, these are the best receivers in this game, in essence, you're telling me these are the best receivers in football. I'm not going to sit here and argue number one and number two. That's not even close to being a question. My biggest thing is you're telling me right now, just because of statistics, Tyree Kill is better than Stefan Diggs, Julio Jones, and the rest of the people on this list. Now, to me, Tyreek Hill is the fastest player in football, point blank, period. Tyreek Hill is one of the most electric players in the game, especially because of his ability to break away, not just from the deep ball, but because if you give him a bubble screen or a short enough route and you don't have enough coverage in secondary, he's blowing past everybody on the angle and taking it to the lanes of the field. All of that aside, you're telling me that Tyreek Hill is better than Stefan Diggs when Stefan Diggs led the league in receptions and total yards on a brand new team? And he's an actual threat, both route running and catching. 
Tyreek Hill is literally a one-trick pony, and it's, it's the speed. He runs three routes, a fly, a post, and a slant. Maybe if you include a screen as a, an, an actual route, but Stephon Diggs runs the tree. Stephon Diggs abuses all matchups in front of him. Stephon Diggs is one of the best receivers, if not a top three receiver in the NFL. And you're going to tell me that Tyreek Hill's above him. That rating of a 98, 99, like 97 and above, to me growing up, was always like, yo, this guy is like, he either going to catch it every time you throw it to him, or he's definitely going to get damn near close to it. If I were to throw a fade at Tyreek Hill and the corner side by side, like, and I know that's a very difficult thing to say considering Tyreek is one of the fastest, and it becomes a jump ball, Tyreek Hill is automatically at a disadvantage. He's 5'10". Versus DeAndre Hopkins, it's like fucking 6'3", 6'4". Julio Jones, 6'3", 6'4". And the list goes on. Stephon Diggs is also a shorter target. But like I said, Stephon Diggs' pro is the fact that he can run the route tree. And because Stephon Diggs can be a little bit physical as well. Tyreek Hill, to me, is not a top three receiver in this league. I would definitely put Diggs and Julio Jones in front of him without a doubt. He's top five but he's definitely not top three. And then my biggest, my, my next biggest issue is the fact that Michael Thomas is on this list. The man basically missed all of last season. He showed that he was prioritizing his ego over the team, and it just came out. He's having surgery now instead of having surgery in January for that injured ankle that he had pretty much the entire season. I think that Michael Thomas definitely is a good and great receiver, definitely an elite receiver when healthy. But if you're missing a year and you're about to miss God knows how many games into the season, how are you going to get this rating considering from week one to week five or six, your rating is going to plummet down because you're not playing. You're not an available player. It's a video game. If you're literally not available to play in real life, you shouldn't be available to play in the game because you're just hurt. So your rating is hindered to me. A 94 when healthy, yes. But the fact that he missed pretty much all last season and he's going to miss a good portion of this season, kind of crazy to me. Amari Cooper, 92. That's another thing. I'm skipping over Keenan Allen because Keenan Allen has been proven over the last five to ten years or five to eight years, however long he's been in the league. He's been consistent, and he's been really good. He missed a couple of games last year. He was also adjusting having a rookie quarterback in Justin Herbert who had a little bit of a slump towards the end of the season, but still found a way to put up good numbers. Keenan Allen definitely deserves that number and that spot. But Amari Cooper, here's my thing. When Dak was there, absolutely phenomenal. A threat, a top 10 receiver in the league. We all know the route running ability that he came out of Alabama with. We all know the ability of the hands and the catch radius that he has. But I've said it multiple times, both on my podcast, as a guest on Kyle's, and on our podcast. He's also a player that turns it on and turns it off way too often. He doesn't know how to just play 100% every game. If the ball doesn't come to him a certain amount of times within the first half, Amari Cooper pretty much just shuts down. Granted, they did have a carousel of quarterbacks last year with the injury to Dak Prescott, and he still put up good numbers. But for me to give him a 92 overall just seems a little bit like a stretch. You know what I mean? Like an 89, a 90, yeah, a 92. I just, I hate his playing mentality. I hate how he approaches the game. Well, they're not looking at me, so I'm going to stop trying. There's been plenty of game film. There's been plenty of instances where they show over on the top of the on, on the on the overhead of the screen where they show you the play from the top. And if the ball's not coming to him, Amari doesn't really move or Amari doesn't really put any effort into run blocking and so on and so forth. So that's my thing with him. Mike Evans 100% deserves it with all the mouths that had to be fed in Tampa, with all the things that he had to overcome. He definitely deserves it. And then Allen Robinson, one of the most underappreciated receivers in this game, one of the people that can go up there and get it in terms of a clutch catch 
He has one of the highest statistically rated, I forget the actual terminology to this particular statistic, but like difficult catch, like complicated clutch catch, whatever it is. He has a very, very, very high percentage in the league, and I believe he's top three in that percentage. And with the dumpster fire that is Chicago of quarterbacks that they've had since he's been there, it's very impressive that he's continuously put up the numbers that he has. Julio Jones doesn't need any recognition because we all know what Julio Jones can provide. Now he's going to be in a brand new team with an absolute juggernaut of an offense. So we will just have to see how that's going to work out with Ryan Tannehill putting the ball in his hands. So that's my overall of the receiver list as of right now. I mean, Kyle, I know that we may, you mainly talked about Tyreek Hill, but like, does any of the things that I said make any sense in your head, or do you have any disagreements with the people that I critiqued? No, you know what's crazy? We were kind of talking about this before the episode even started. You know, Mike Evans, in that crowded wide receiving group with himself, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, O.J. Howard, and O.J. Howard got hurt last year because of that torn ACL. And then you add Antonio Brown, and he still put up double-digit touchdowns last year. That's phenomenal. And he was really kind of Tom Brady's go-to target last year in the red zone. He, he was money. So, you know, I definitely... Definitely appreciate the fact that Madden definitely gave him some shine for that and at least gave him a rating in the 90s. When I look at someone like Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen's just been very consistent. You know, whether it was with Phillip Rivers and now going into a new quarterback with, uh, oh my God, well, I'm forgetting the guy's name. What's Justin Herbert. Th- thank you, Justin Herbert. Um, I just expect nothing different from Keenan Allen. He's one of the best route runners in the game. He's consistently putting up some top flight wide receiver numbers year in and year out. So I, I don't really expect anything different from him. And then I know you mentioned him, uh, Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is still one of the top flight receivers in this league. Granted, I know he's been hurt. Last year was kind of a difficult year for him since he just could never find the field due to injuries. But based off of legacy at this point, I would still, I would still contend that Michael Thomas is a top flight receiver in this league and he should be respected. Granted, I don't know whether you believe that he deserves the rating that he gets. You know, he had a 94 rating, correct? Yeah. I still think that he's worthy of that. But I will say, to a certain extent, he has to go out there and prove it. And with him and his injury um, questions, that might be difficult. So it wouldn't surprise me if if he can't be able to hit the field that that number drops going into next year. Or they do this thing like throughout the year like where they do the updates where the, I think they update those those numbers on a weekly basis. Like a weekly, but yeah. Yeah, so I, if he's not able to hit the field, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a drop in his rating. But all in all, you know, I think they definitely got it right with the top as far as Devontae Adam goes. I know you have your contention about Tyreek Hill about having a 98, even though that I still give a little bit of credit, a little bit of shine to him for that. D-Hop, yeah, that goes without saying. And yeah, but all in all, you know, Outside of the questionable Tyreek Hill one in your eyes, um, I don't necessarily have a problem with these ratings. That's just me, though. No, and I can't wait for the rest of them to come out. You know, the reveal schedule we have tomorrow, we're going to do top 10 defensive linemen. uh, And then Wednesday's top running backs. Thursday is going to be top 10 safeties. And then Friday is going to be top 10 quarterbacks. Kyle and I literally love this because we talked about it as like just before a podcast every year, even though neither of us bought Madden because we knew that it's the same shit every year. Um, we like to just talk about the ratings because, you know, we love the sport of football. We love 
the deeper analytics that go behind it. And then, you know, you, you kind of sit there and everybody has their own opinion, like Kyle and I have with the Tyreek Hill. You sit there and you really kind of debate and bicker, like, does this person really deserve the rating that they just got? Does this person really think that they're up there or, or so on and so forth? So definitely excited to see what the rest of the ratings that come out when we do our next episode later in the week. So for sure, for sure, cannot wait to break that down. But in terms of our last segment of the evening, guys, we are going to be talking about the AFC East and our predictions as to how that's going to go next season. Obviously, last year, we had the Buffalo Bills win the division and go on to the AFC Championship. The Miami Dolphins were second right behind them and just barely missed the playoffs. The New England Patriots were kind of on the cusp of going into the postseason towards the middle ladder of the season, but you know, kind of fell apart. And then obviously the New York Jets were the New York Jets and, you know, their situation is what it is. But I mean, Kyle, obviously this season is going to be pretty much a completely different story on almost every facet. The Buffalo Bills are only going to get better. The Miami Dolphins look to get better from what they produced last season. The New England Patriots have reloaded on the offensive end as well as the defensive side of the ball. And the Jets pretty much have a brand new coaching staff and a rookie quarterback. So I got to ask. What is your prediction for your division this season? If I had to go with a team that I think is going to win it, I think it's going to be the Buffalo Bills. I'm just going with the continuity here. Josh Allen had a phenomenal year last year. That connection that he and Stephon Diggs last year was absolute money. Those guys were phenomenal last year. Stephon Diggs had a career year. And going into this year, I do want to see Buffalo try to run the ball a little bit more. Simply because... I thought they were a little bit too reliant on Josh Allen. Josh Allen was had multiple games, actually probably the majority of the games, where he was getting 35, 40 pass attempts. And don't get me wrong, like he, he can go out there and still have games where he's completing at least 60, 65% of his passes. It's just, it does make it a little bit one-dimensional in that way. So I think the focus for Buffalo this year is to try to run the ball a little bit more effectively this year. Their defense is stout. I expect that to, to continue going into this year. If I had to say, I'm going to be a little bit out on a limb here just because it is my team. I do expect the New England Patriots to have a bounce back here. Granted, I thought that they were a bad team last year. And when I look at how bad they were, they finished the season at 7-9. and nine. And there were plenty of games where they were competitive. They just couldn't make the right plays when it mattered the most. And, I mean, just to kind of give you an example, when New England was playing Buffalo in Buffalo, Cam Newton had a chance to win them the game at the end of the fourth quarter with about 30 seconds to go. However, he gets stripped, fumbles the ball, and Buffalo ends up recovering it. Buffalo wins the game. That was a, like a three-point game. And New England was going for the win at that point. And... I think what New England's going to do this year is they're just going to focus on protecting Cam as much as possible. They have really, really developed their offense from where it was last year. So they've really integrated some nice pieces with John U. Smith, Hunter Henry. They added Kendrick Bourne. We'll see whether or not the, the Keel Harry gets traded because there have been a lot of rumors circulating about him potentially being traded. He did it, put out an official statement uh, saying that he does want to be traded. So we'll kind of see how that goes. <laughs> no, but, Kyle is hyped. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, listen, 
Nikhil Harry is just not worked out for New England, and you know, maybe maybe there will be some greener pastures for him elsewhere. I just don't think it's going to be in New England. So, guys, I'm being nice. This I'm man being... has torched Nikhil Harry on stream, but especially, on... bro, guys. If if I swear, like you know how I be ranting and raving about a lot of things, man. Kyle has a dark side to him too. Yo, weekly, he's like, who? Nikhil, who? Like get get off the team! You're you're horrible! You're trash! You create no separate uh, man. I can't quote Kyle being emotional. So Kyle, come on, you gotta give me a sample, man. How good? Like the goat? We're talking the goat, bro. Nikhil Harry's probably the greatest receiver I've ever come see come out of the NFL draft. Homeboy can't separate, bro. He can't separate. How you win in the NFL and you can't separate from defenders? Like <laughs> this was a main gripe coming out of college. Is that yeah, he can win on these one on one battles, but it's like a battle for him to catch these balls. Like it's just it's just not working out. I can see why Tom Brady left, you know, after one year with Nikhil Harry, because Nikhil Harry, man, Jesus, Lord have mercy. Cannot get it done. There's I, your I, answer, New England fans. I, 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 I would rather I would rather I would rather have Julian Edelman on one leg than Nikhil Harry because man I man, I would take Julian Edelman in retirement right now. Jesus Christ. I'm like, I, I don't know what else to say. He just can't separate. It's like, that's your main job as a receiver, and you just cannot separate. Like, Lord have mercy. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i just looking at the great. rest of the receiving core. Bro, I think Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar, the, ki- the king of drops <laughs> in Philly, is a better all-in-all receiver than Nikhil Harry. I, t- I mean, I just hope that New England gets it together, man. I mean, I really do because if they go seven and nine again this year, like they did last year, it's going to be a long season, boys. But you know, all in all, it's just you know, I I look at New England and Buffalo as the two top two top teams out of the AFC East this year, simply because ain't no way in hell New England is going sub five hundred again this year. I want to see some improvement from Cam. He looks and he said that this is the best that he's felt since his MVP season. And that was back in, I believe, 2016 with Carolina. So we'll definitely see how that works out. And then for the rest of the division, I think Miami is going to be extremely competitive. You know, the, we're going to see a full year of Tua this year. So we'll see if he takes some some steps and some development going into year two of his career. And with New York, with the Jets, man, oh my God. I, I don't know. You know, I, I'm i very scared to see what happens with them. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the Jets simply because it's the Jets, bro. Went 2-14 last year. Granted, they do have a new quarterback. They have a new head coach. So hopefully there's some culture change that comes along with that. But it's the Jets, bro. I'm worried. I'm worried about the Jets. But all in all, if I, if I had to say Buffalo's number one. I'd say New England's going to fight for that number two spot. Miami finishes at a close three. And then I got the Jets running it out at four to finish out the AFC East this year. So I'm definitely going to agree with the order. um, Only because I am trying to have some faith in Cam. Uh, His shoulder shot the shit. So I think he has a very, 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 very extremely short leash. And I think that Mac Jones definitely does end up taking that job around week five or six. Um, who knows, maybe even sooner, depending on how camp performs really early. Uh, he was pulled quite a bit of times last year. So there is 
I would say no safer bet than for, you know, New England to go ahead and pull him early on, especially because they have a lot invested in other places. And they need those players to earn those contracts. So they're really not going to have those players kind of waiting around for Cam to get it going. So I want to say New England also gets set the second place. Buffalo is a, a, a given already. It's, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It's a done deal, the saying I meant. Um, they're only going to get better. Josh Allen's going to continue to develop. Obviously, Stephon Diggs is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Um, the only thing that would possibly hinder them is going to be teams kind of banking on Buffalo passing the ball and not running it, like Kyle and I discussed in the latter portion of last season. Um, Kyle kind of alluded to noticing that Buffalo really didn't run the ball as much as they should. And when they did run the ball, it wasn't really efficient. So if teams start to really package a lot of nickel looks and a lot of, you know, cornerback looks, I think that Josh Allen might have a struggling year. So it really depends on how all of that is portrayed throughout the season. Uh, But I still do predict Buffalo to go out and win the division. Um, Miami, I don't necessarily know if I'm confident in Tua to go out there and lead a team as successful as they were last year. Um, you know, shout out to my little brother because he thinks that Tua is going to have a really big breakout year and he's not going to have a sophomore slump. So I really have to see what's going on with Tua early on. I mean, everybody already knows Tua and his first workouts in this offseason program, whether that was involuntary workouts or veteran mini camps, whatever it was. He kind of threw five interceptions right off the bat in practice, and it just, you know, it didn't really look good for him. So I'm not going to just base all of my predictions on him performing in practice one time, but I definitely do want to make a note that I have a little bit of faith in him, but at the same time, I am a little hesitant to go out there and give Miami a nod for that same record that they had this year in 10-6. and six. So they're in the air. And then, of course, you know, the Jets are the Jets, like Kyle said. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm in fear of the Jets, like scared for them, because they are in the position that they're in because of themselves. I blame nobody but the, tr- the, the front office of the New York Jets. They drafted Zach Wilson. They traded Sam Darnold. So it's a whole new system. Robert Sala is the brand new head coach over there. So the Adam Gase era is over. I do predict them to win more games than they did last season. But I don't know how much more wins they're going to achieve with a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach. So Maybe four and twelve, maybe three and thirteen. I don't know, but it definitely is going to be nowhere near the other three. Uh, if I had to give it a rating, I would say Buffalo goes twelve and four, New England goes nine and seven, Miami goes eight and eight, depending on how Tua performs early on, and then I would probably give it towards, like I said, with with New York, thir- three and thirteen, and or four and twelve. At least you had New England above five hundred. I appreciate that. Well, there's no reason they shouldn't be. I think Mac Jones is a good system quarterback. I don't like Mac Jones, but with Bill Belichick being literally the equivalent of the professional Nick Saban, there's no reason why Mac isn't going to succeed in this system. And we all know a quarterback's best friend in the end. You think that Mac's going to get some starts this year? I said that I think Cam's going to get benched by week six. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that's a hot take or a bold take. I just think that Cam Newton is on a shorter leash than people are really anticipating. There's no way Belichick's going to let the season get away from him after all the money they just spent. Okay. All right. I'm just basing it off of what Cam said. Cam says he feels healthy. I got to at least put some some faith into what I don't, he said. I don't, I don't give a shit if you feel healthy. Your shoulder's still shot. You can't throw the ball more than 40 yards down the field. Okay. I don't care how confident you feel. I need you to show me. I mean, tell me I'm a, wrong. This could be a terrible 
comparison, but you might you might get a laugh out of this. I mean, Phil Rivers was able to do it last year. He was 40 years old and couldn't throw the ball 40 yards downfield anymore. But we are not a deep threat team. We don't have a breakaway receiver. A, the, the long we don't ball, either. But the long ball is not in our system. Cam Newton tried to throw the long ball quite a bit of times last season, and it was awful. Yeah, yeah Julian Edelman on one. On one. <laughs> I d- Listen, it, you're right, though. Focus on the short inter- intermediate passes, and I think that works best for Cam. Take so. advantage of what you can do best. There's no reason for you to try to stretch the field, like you said. The, no, actually, I think it's going to be even worse for Cam. You guys have two speedsters, Nelson Aguilar on one side, and that guy from the 49ers, for whatever reason, Kendrick, his Kendrick name Ford. is Escape. There, there's no way you guys aren't going to incorporate some deep Depend, balls on the side of the de- field. Depends on how they utilize them. It depends. I don't know if they're just going to be burners that are going to go straight down the sideline. And just run go routes. You know, I expect those Not guys. Not every play. No, 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 no. But I definitely expect those guys to definitely get some nice, some good crossing patterns. You know, maybe get some good, like, intermediate routes, like 10 to 15 yards down the field. And obviously, you're going to have some plays where you're going to run go routes. And then you just kind of, like, you throw it up for a jump ball. You see what happens. Um, But the only reason the, I said the, that was mainly because, obviously, we're aware your your threats on the offensive end are your tight ends, and that's going to be the middle of the field. That, so it's going that, to be very clustered that's in that middle. Ca- Listen, Hunter Henry and John U. Smith, those are going to be Cam's security blankets. He should hit those guys constantly. But they and will get doubled, and you know that. It's going to leave opportunities for Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar to get some shots. I'm, they yeah. don't have to go deep. They, they don't to have to, deep. but the, there's they deeper just... routes, the tens in the end, the post routes, the post corners. Cam's got to be able to hit those shots in stride consistently they, they, because you can't gonna... rely on the five-yard end, they... the three-yard slants. Or they're going to utilize guys out of the backfield like they've always done. You still got James White. You still got Sonny Michelle. You got the stud in Damian Harris. So Damian Harris definitely had some nice touches last year. I expect a, an increased workload for him as well. So definitely no pressure on your running backs. We all know that Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels incorporate those backs every single play. But when you yeah. sign speedsters, there's an expectation that comes behind that to utilize them properly. There is a focus of speed on this offense that this offense has not had in quite a while. And they definitely made a push to definitely add some speed to the wide receiving aspect of the team. And that is something that I can appreciate. But I love the moves of getting Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry because the one thing that Cam, I think, has done very, very well throughout his career is when Greg Olson was playing with the Carolina Panthers, that was his go-to target. That was his security blanket. And when you have somebody like John U. Smith and Hunter Henry, you have two reliable targets to go to. That's going to be very valuable for Cam or Mac Jones, depending on how it goes You know, throughout the first couple of weeks of the season. I Do you really that- not believe that Mac's not going to touch the field this year? I don't know. That's really uh, be, where be kinda, brutally honest. I, bro. I, I don't br- know. Brutal. No, no. I'm being I'm being honest. I don't know. I don't really know. I have to see how Cam plays at first. If Cam starts out awful, yeah, then of course. If Cam is consistently decent, I'm not asking him to go out there and throw out for 500 yards a game. But That's if he can put, but if he can put up 200, 250 yards, he's not turning the ball over. It's really the best that I can hope for. That's what I think. Okay, the, the, that's, okay. That's so then I, fine. He gives you he gives you the two hundred, right? 
Do you think that Josh McDaniels completely re-ramps this offense again? Because he tried to cater to Cam's run option habits that he had in Carolina, and it didn't pan through after it worked for the first two, three weeks because teams started to bank on it and say, bro, we're going to stack this box. You better beat this one-on-one coverage, and he wasn't capable. Because New England's receivers weren't getting any sort of separation whatsoever. Julian Edelman was on his last leg. I've already mentioned to kill Harry. I don't want to talk about him again. And Why? He's the GOAT, Kyle. He's so good. And then who were their tight ends last year? Devin Asasi? Devin Asasi? Ryan Rizzo? Are, are you kidding me? Disgusting, Kyle. They were drafted to the organization that has six Super Bowl championships. They're there for a reason, Kyle. Tom Brady would have made those guys into superstars. That's all I'm going to say, though. He he had an opportunity to make everybody a superstar. But he let Jacoby Myers walk. I'm just saying. Just I don't saying. want to hear it. I don't want to hey, hear Jacoby it. Hey, Jacoby Myers is nice, though. Jacoby's nice. Jacoby Myers is a stud, bro. And he, he's, I, he threw that nice little touchdown to Rex Burkhead last year. That, that was... Jacoby Myers is nice. He's, a, he's like a perfect utility player for New England. He's Agreed. that guy, like, you know, I don't know if he's going to be anything like you know, what they did with Julian Edelman, you know, where they were. Oh. Don't be disrespectful now. <laughs> My eyes, he's a Hall of Famer. My eyes. Here we go again with that shit. But, no, I, you know, when I look at New England, though, they're going to have to compete against Buffalo. Buffalo is the team to beat. There's no yep. doubt about that. And I'm not going to sit here and be, oh, well, New England's got a stacked offense this year. They're just going to run through the AFC East like they've always done. No, they're going to have to earn it this year. If they're oh, yeah. If they're going to win the AFC East, they're going to have to earn it. Back when you had Tom Brady, you kind of get away with it a little bit because Brady could kind of carry the load. It's not that necessarily the case anymore. It has to be a team effort here. And I know I didn't really mention it, but New England's defense is going to be a lot better this year. You get Dante Hightower back, who's the captain of that defense. Stephon Gilmore is still kind of up in the air. Don't really know what's happening with him. They're trying to rework some He's reporting the camp. Yeah, he's going to be there. You have J.C. Jackson, who's coming off a career year last year. And I think that pass rush is going to be nice for New England this year, or at least it's going to be consistent. So yeah, definitely way better than it was last year. Without even a, a I have, I have a lot, I have more confidence in this team than I did last year. So I'm going to say nine and seven, maybe ten and six. That's where I can kind of see this team going. If they really exceed expectations, maybe eleven and five. But I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. I think nine and seven, ten and six is going to be their best bet. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know. I am hesitant to give Miami the rating that my brother does only because two has got to be the one to show it. Two has got to be the one to be consistent. Two has got to be the one to show that he can lead this team to success and uh, a, a consistent dominance. Obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick started off pretty solid. And then the, you know, the inconsistencies of benching Tua and um, bringing in Fitzpatrick again, it was just – a little bit more of a carousel, maybe too inconsistent for Tua to really be successful in his role, especially as a rookie. You know, you kind of got to get as many reps as you can. That in and out kind of rotation that they had later towards the end of the year probably was not healthy for him. Definitely not for his mental. Uh, so I'm excited to see where he goes. Not very often have we seen a lot of lefty quarterback be successful in this league. So that has always fascinated me personally. I know it's a random fact, but definitely love lefty quarterbacks for some weird reason. And then... The Jets are the Jets. That's that's literally all I have to say. I've made my points with New York. So we'll see what happens. This season's going to be exciting. I could not be happier. The football is finally back. And, you know, teams are working out. People are starting to get, you know, back into the rhythm. We're starting to get our early season predictions from the analysts. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers news broke today. Obviously, the Chandler, the Chandler Jones news broke, I believe, yesterday. And then 
the Deshaun Watson thing is still happening and whatnot. I know Kyle and I didn't discuss it, but there's not really much that's changed other than more women reporting for uh, more criminal charges against him. And then, you know, he's going to now report to camp instead of him bluffing and saying that he wasn't. Because if he didn't report, it was going to be $50,000 every time he didn't show up. By the end of the week, the man would owe a quarter of a million dollars to the Houston Texans, and he was not going to miss that money because then obviously that equals a million dollars in a month. Deshaun Watson is not losing a mill to prove a point. Houston has extended their offer, or excuse me, expanded their offer to be five high picks as well as including uh, uh, positional player compensation. So it is not looking like Deshaun Watson is leaving Houston anytime soon unless a NFL GM wakes up drunk, has no idea what's going on, has no concept of what they're saying on their phone, and just offers the entire team to him or to Houston because that's a tall task for anybody. You know, no matter what organization it is in this league, no matter how bad you need a quarterback, five picks plus players, that is too big, too steep of a hill to climb, and we will see what happens with, uh, with that going forward. But, I mean, other than that, Kyle, that's all I have for the episode, at least right now. Do you have anything to close it out? You got one more Team USA rant in you? No. They, they, they play against Iran next. Do you think that they could handle Iran? or you think we, lose to, we lose to Iran. I'm not recording next episode. Oh, it, it's that bad, huh? It's oh, bad. bro. I, come on, man. Come on, man. We lost to Nigeria. Again, Stephen A. already had to do an apology for mispronunciating somebody's name and, you know, saying that they, they deserve to be in the Olympics. Come on, man. They're, bro, if you don't beat Iran by 20-plus points, 30-plus points at that, you really don't deserve to be in the Olympics. Point blank, period. None of these players should ever walk and wear the Olympic colors ever again. Like, there's there's 0% of a chance we lose this game. If you we know, do, Kyle, you're recording alone. You know what? I'm going I'm to say this. I'm going to channel my inner Stephen A. Smith here. If the USA lose to Iran, there should be a barricade around the United States. These players should not be allowed in it, and they should be spotted the second that they're seen. Because as far as I'm concerned, bro, those guys are a walking atrocity if they lose to Iran. But... I do expect USA to beat that ass against Iran, though. Might be the most, might be the the most disrespectful team, or excuse me, might be the most. I don't even know a word. I'm so I'm so upset. I'm literally sitting here thinking of a word to 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 to. to no, no, they suck. You're nope. a loss. You're a I'm lots not, of words, my guy. I'm not, lots of words. Like, I'm, I'm just I'm just so upset because you really look at these players, right? In our whole life. The Olympics have always been fire in terms of basketball. Outside of 2004, the Redeem team after that, the 2012 run that they had, 2016 going with James Harden and everybody, it was fire, right? The Olympics with Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and all those other historic goats. And then you have this team who on paper still has incredible, incredible talent is literally embarrassing themselves when they walk on that court. It's like... Kevin Durant steps on the basketball court when the game starts, and he becomes like, like Tony Allen. Like, not even. I can't even insult Tony Allen like that because he was an elite defender. Who the hell am I? He becomes Anthony Bennett. I'm going to be that That's disrespectful. disrespectful. I'm going to be that disrespectful, bro. I don't give a shit who this comes across. I don't care if this falls on KD's Twitter. Bro, your fingers move faster than your damn shot right now, okay, bro? Get your head in the fucking game and go score 30 points because you are literally the best player on this team and you can't score over fucking 15 points. Bro, 
I don't give a shit how many fake Twitters you make. I don't give a shit how much you give a shit about Bam out of bio not giving you a ball after you made a shot in practice. Go dominate the world like you should be being the best scorer in the NBA. That is all I'm going to say on the matter. There's no one else that can join this team to save them. I'm not going to give them a pass if they lose again, especially. Bro, I would seriously prefer a forfeit than a loss to Iran at this point. I have no faith in this team. You know, to kind of hit on the point that you made about KD, bro, his his game in the Olympics is fading faster than his goddamn hair on his head, bro. Like, it's bad. I'm not even, I'm, I'm not even going to get into that, bro. I don't understand how NBA players don't take care of themselves and come out of these courts looking like absolute bums, like, Bro, you hey, are a hey, multi-millionaire. Hey, they're making money, though. They're making money. Multi-millionaire. You're going to walk into court with a busted hairline and, uh, and a receding, balding, spotting it. Come on. Bro, Take care of that you, shit. You look bro, nappy, you, bro. Bro, you seen J. Cole. You seen Kendrick come out of the come out of the booth looking like Yeah, but up. J. Cole's growing his dreads out. Like, legitimately, that's well, you, what he's you, doing. You've never seen Kendrick Lamar coming out of a booth session looking like he, he was, like, freaking homeless? I mean, bro, they're putting in work. Come on, so, man. but not in the Olympics, though. Katie, I'm not No, not getting it done, bro. Four of twelve. Yeah. Four of twelve. You're the second best player in the world, and you're going out four of twelve. You're scoring ten points. Nope. Nope. No. No. That's it. That's it, Kyle. The episode's a wrap. No, that's it. I'm, I'm over it. It's over. Yeah. No, I'm done. I'm. I'm. It's literally so frustrating to talk about because when we talk about these players in the season, they're literally. Cooking people, bro. Like, cooking people. Mm-hmm. And you get to the Olympic stage where you're surrounded by talent. Like, can you imagine Damian Lillard actually in a team with help? Can you imagine Jason Tatum on a team with help? Can you imagine Zach Levine on a team with help? They finally have help to play on the grandest stage in terms of global basketball. And you're going to tell me you cannot produce? They bitch and moan all season long about... I'm the only one doing anything, or I need help, or I just can't do this by myself, or God, man, these referees are terrible, blah, 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 all these fucking excuses and complaints and everything that they fucking bitch about all season long. And now you're playing with the best of the best outside of probably the top, some of the top five players in the league, and you're literally going to tell me you still can't do it? No. No, I don't care. You want want to accept it? No. I know know people that love basketball, people that follow the sport, there's no reason to accept it. It's bad. It's bad. When you when you bro lose three the- losses in four games, you're the best organization in the world. Unacceptable, bro. No, no, just no. I've said that word a hundred times every time we've talked about this damn team. Just no. There's no other word. You don't see this as a coaching issue. You see this as a player issue. A hundred percent, bro. This man, Greg Popovich, is like one of the best coaches in history, bro. I don't give a fuck if he's trying to make you play middle school basketball. If he tells you to play, you play. I need to ask you just an honest question here. Do you really think these guys even want to be there? I think they don't give a shit. I think they're just there. I I think they're there to show that they could be the next star of the USA. I think they're there to just put a notch on their belt to say, I represented the country. I went out there and I tried my best, even though we know that they're not. And I think that they're just doing it to do it, just to say that they did. Because we all know when Olympic gold medal mellow did it, it was a whole different category. It was a whole different mellow. When Kobe went out there, the intensity that he brought from everybody out on that team 
was incredible. We saw the videos of Braun and Kobe going at it in practice. We saw the videos of fucking Chris Bosh and Kobe Bryant getting into it at the free throw line with Kobe talking shit to Luis Scola. We all know the intensity all of those greats brought to the game. I don't get that from this from this team. I don't see that from these guys. I see guys that say, yo, the guy in front of me is trash, but the guy next to me wants to take this shot attempt away from me. So I'm going to try and beat the guy in front of me and make a crazy shot. No. You're Damian Lillard, you're Kevin Durant, you're Jason Tatum. If the guy in front of you sucks, you should score. You shouldn't try to one-up him. You shouldn't try to be fancy. You shouldn't try to do a step back. Bro, if you know you have the dribble moves and you know they can't guard you, there's no reason why you can't get to the basket, get to the free throw line, and one, flush it on their forehead, get a good look at a mid-range jump shot, play effective and efficient basketball. You're going to tell me you're going to be so flash, you're going to come off a pick, you're going to step back, you're going to shoot a 32-foot one-legged three-point shot, and then get upset when the ref doesn't call a tap on your fingertip instead of getting back on defense? No. If you're going to dribble into a double team and expect the ref to blow the whistle every time you bump somebody that you ran into, that's not smart basketball. That's called being spoiled because the NBA hand-delivers fouls. Yep, and that was really the point that I was going to hit. This is really a reflection on the NBA and how soft it has gotten. Granted, I know the NBA has made... Big pivot from really the gritty, aggressive, physical game that it used to be back in the 90s to more of a offensively-centric game that we all see on the court day in and day out. But what you get is guys that are soft. They are looking for content, and when they even get the smidgen, they get a smidgen of content, they're literally looking at the ref saying, why didn't you blow the whistle? FIBA is different. They just stop this, playing. This is not the NBA. This is FIBA. This is, honestly, the way that I think FIBA has it set up with how the refs ref the game, this is what I want to see in the NBA. This is what it should be. But the NBA has gotten really laxed and really soft when it comes to these fouls that they call all the time. And when I look at these guys, when it's the superstars, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard, and just the role players that go along with it. It looks like they're just going through the motions. They're going up against a team that they know that they can beat, but they're playing down to their competition. That is not how it's supposed to be. You're, I don't care who you're going up against, whether it's Niger, Nigeria, whether it's against Ghana or Jamaica or whatever country that you could think of. I'm just thinking of the, a couple of like subpar basketball teams at the top of my head. You play against them like you're playing against the best team in the world. It doesn't matter who they are. And against France, look, they were up eight points at one point with like, I want to say like half of the fourth Four minutes. Ago. Yeah. And then they just completely just, they take their foot off the gas, off the gas pedal and give up 16 points in three and a half minutes. I'm like, this team is better than that. We know that this team can play better, but if they don't get their heads out of their asses, it's going to be a very short Olympic run for me. And that's why I kind of mentioned, it's like, do they even want to be there? That's a real question and, that I have and to that's ask. that's why and I don't think. I don't think I, they're going to. I, I think the reason why is, is that they know they just went through the like the last like seven to eight months playing the game, coming off of a two and a half month layoff from the bubble the year prior. And I think they're just like, you know what? It's not worth it. It's so don't play. It. Don't play. Yeah. I'm like, I'll go find some Give guys that actually a- want to play. Thank you. Give somebody else a shot. There are plenty of players in the league that were invited to the camp. They were they were considered to be, and then there were players that just denied it. LeBron said, "I'm not doing it." Steph said, "He's not doing it." And the litany of other players that they wanted to have on this initial roster said, "Yo, I'm not doing it." 
Whether or not that was because of fatigue, whether or not that was because of family, or because they were just straight up just like, I don't feel like it. If you don't feel like giving this 100%, you should not be on the court. You should not be representing this country. There's no reason why you aren't giving it 100% if you're on the roster. If you reported to camp, if you said yes to being here, you need to fucking be here. Not only on the offensive end, not only when you want to put up 15 shots and make four of them, but on the defensive end because this is a two-way sport. Whether or not these teams are on the same level as you, but if you're going to lose and look like a bunch of idiots, there's no reason why the next game after you lose, you should not be on your top of your A game saying, I'm never letting this happen again. He is not going to beat me. The guy in front of me is not better than me. I'm not going to let him outscore me. And that's the mentality that this team should have. And the thing is, I would rather have a bunch of amateur basketball players than going out there. Excuse me. I'd rather have a bunch of amateur players going out there, giving it everything that they've got compared to having superstars out on the court who are giving maybe half effort, 75% effort. They're not giving 100%. What, what, what's that? What's that mode in 2K? Uh, my team where you're like, you're playing with like scrubs at the beginning. And then like, you have to open packs and like acquire, like you have to play with like a, a shit team. And then like, as you acquire more packs, you get like better players. This is what it feels like. I feel like we legitimately have a, my team but, like, we have gold packs for, like, everybody, but they're just literally saying, like, fuck it, I'm just going to throw shots up from half court because I just, you know, we're that good. We're going to beat them no matter what. I'm like, you could do that all you want in the NBA. That might work out. But when it comes against international teams, I'm telling you what, I don't care if it's, I know we mentioned this earlier, whether it's Slovenia, whether it's Greece, whether it's France, these guys have national pride, and they're playing with pride. They're stepping up for their own countries. In the United States, these guys are not showing it. And it's like I mentioned, I'd rather have some amateur basketball players giving it everything that they've got on this team than some glorified superstars who can drop 50 points whenever they damn well please, but are going out there there and throwing up bricks. At playing at maybe 75%. This team should not be scoring 76 points in an international game. Against 70, Rudy Gobert. 76? There are some teams that could score 80 points in a half, for God's sakes. 80. You're talking about you know, 76 you know and four quarters? No way. Do you know what's crazy? Luka Doncic, by himself, scored more points than the USA did in the second half. It's unacceptable. It's it's disgraceful. It really Bro, is. Bro, one player. One player. On a team with nobody. Nobody of actual recognition. One fucking player. A 22-year-old kid. One player. I'm going to say it again. One fucking player scored more than the whole United States men's basketball team in a half. Are you fu- So you're telling me Luka Doncic is better than the starting five? If you were to mash up all the best parts of the starting five, Luka Doncic is just better than all of them, right? He's a better defender than Draymond. He's a better rebounder than Bam. He's a better scorer than KD. He's a better ball handler than Damian Lillard. Like, that, that, that's basically what you're telling me. Because he went out there and he said, I represent this country. This is my homeland. I want to win. And he showed that in every facet of the way. I don't give a shit if he played an older Argentina team. You're playing against France with a total of four NBA players, and one of them didn't even suit up. 
There's zero reason why the bench couldn't come up and annihilate the starting five. If you put Devin Booker in a room with Evan Fournier, Devin Booker's winning that game all day long. If you're putting a game between Rudy Gobert and Bam Adebayo, that might be a little bit closer because Rudy is a great defender. But overall, offensively, Bam is more talented because Bam can shoot. And the list continues. Nicholas Batum's like 33 years old. You're telling me somebody on this team. Drew Holiday. Like, Drew Holiday had a good game, though. I will. He's he had a he's been on the game. team for like five days, and he led the team in scoring. Five days? Coming off of a full season, a full postseason, an NBA championship, a parade. God knows how many parties he went to to celebrate his championship. And he came all the way out to Tokyo to outscore a team that's been together for three weeks. No. 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 I've had enough. Kyle, I'm going to fucking give myself an aneurysm. I'm going to bed. It's like I said. Who wants it more? Who wants Luca it wants more? it more. Yeah. Luca wants it more. He's at least trying. The whole Mavs nation, like, bro, my Twitter, like, all the Mavs pages I follow stood up all night and watched him play. And then still got up for work. Like, that's how good of a show he that's, put on. That's dedication, bro. That's, but it's just, that's just, that's the level of commitment that Luca has for that team. Not just for yeah. the Mavs, but, but for Slovenia. This is his home country. He's representing his country. And he's going out there and dominating the game. Like, bro, like, I love to see it. 50. Basically 50. So that's I love it. This. I love this. Guys, guys, we are at 207 subscribers. It's incredible. We're super excited. We're super happy. Um, my girlfriend's currently in the boonies right now. I left her, unfortunately. So she has, like, no signal. But from my understanding, from talking to her this weekend, the logo is literally done. Um, when she gets back next week, we're going to be able to post it up, and it'll be great. So, you know, the logo is literally finished, which is phenomenal. And uh, Kyle and I are doing our last reviews of it. And, you know, we're going to be able to put that on our, our thumbnails and everything else that we need. So that's it's great. Um, I do want to throw something out there, Kyle. It is a bit random, but, I mean, I just wanted to ask. Guys, I know that you guys aren't as interactive as we would want on the channel. But what would you guys think about us jumping into TikTok? You know, like, just to put in short clips, like... Just some of the funnier portions of our uh, our podcast, some of the more in-depth segments. Now that TikTok can do three-minute clips, which is a lot longer than Instagram. I know Instagram does reels. People usually scroll through. But a good sports clip on TikTok, depending on how it starts, may attract a little bit more of an audience. So, I mean, I don't know, Kyle, can you get a poll going on, 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 our, on our page or, or something like that that we can maybe interact with the audience to try to see if they think that maybe we would be successful on a TikTok aspect? Yeah, I mean, I could do that. That that'll be easy to chop up, like just the so, videos. Like the videos will be easy to chop up. I could do that. It'll take me some time, but I'll be able to kind of figure it out. I'll be able to stitch it together. Could guys, we're we're trying to expand. We've realized the for whatever reason, the actual audio of our channel has just plummeted for some weird reason. In which Kyle and I both have the been audio. scratching our heads. The audio for. is fine. What are you talking about? I mean the the Spotify because I'm just thinking of like what we upload, like our Spotify oh, okay. and our Apple our okay. Apple podcasts. Have just not been doing good. We don't know why. Um, we've been consistent in posting them every single week. Every episode has gone up. We haven't missed a week. So we're, we're, we're literally sitting here. We're just like, you know, what's, what's going on? So again, we're reaching out to the audience that listens to us. We're reaching out to the people that we value their opinions. Do you think we should transition to TikTok to maybe get more of a, a, a broader span of an audience? 
Do you think we should change something up that we're not maybe reaching on the podcast portion? Like I said, the Spotify and Apple, please, please, please. We are open to any and all feedback. We definitely love hearing from you guys. We love the feedback and the comments we get per video and segment. So just know we're open. We're here to listen and we're here to improve. So Kyle. No, I think it's a good idea. It's just, it'll be another element to the podcast. That's all. It has another layer to it. Yeah. Well, I have exhausted all vocal experiences and probably visually as well in regards to our episode today. I left it all out there. Something that the USA men's basketball team should uh, make note of, you know, trying very hard and leaving (laughs) everything they can. You know, jabs are... Jabs are accepted. I'm here. It's, if you guys want to respond to us, it's fine. It's it's well-deserved criticism as far as I'm concerned. Their guys are playing like and that, And that's fine. And if their Twitter account or Instagram or YouTube or whatever they have as an organization wants to respond and we lose or we continue to lose, I think that their social media uh, uh, platform or department should get a raise because they put in more effort than they did. So mm. I'm done with my jabs. I finished I think I'm going to order Papa John's tomorrow. I don't know why. I just got that craving randomly in the middle of the night, but I am very hungry right now. Yeah. Your boy has off from work tomorrow, so. Oh, that's might clutch. A, might, that's be so a, clutch. might be a late night for me, but, you know, it's my mom's that's birthday clutch. tomorrow. It's my mom's birthday tomorrow, so. Happy birthday, Mrs. DeBrow, man. Yeah. Happy birthday, Mom. I, I'm going to do a solid to her. I'm not going to mention what year she's turning. She would probably not appreciate me divulging that information so never ever talk about a woman's it's, age young man it's my it's my mother it's my mother i gotta be careful with my mother i gotta be respectful yeah she brought you into the world she'll take you right the fuck out don't play with her yeah but no no it should be fun tomorrow you know just you know it'd definitely be fun just to kind of celebrate my mom's birthday so definitely looking forward absolutely to no for sure for sure but um with that said you guys that'll wrap it up from here as always, just appreciate the support that we can get for the podcast, whether it's on the YouTube side of things or listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of the major streaming platforms. We definitely appreciate it. Kevin, um, I just do want to ask you a quick question. You know, I know we started the um, the NFL uh, division predictions uh, with the episode today. Now, do you want to do like the AFC North for the next episode or do you want to just transition to the NFC and focus on the NFC East? No, I think we just knock out all AFC teams first. You know what I'm saying? We started in the AFC, kind of rolled on through it, and then recycled the same pattern with the NFC. No reason to go dip back and forth. You know what I'm saying? At okay. least in my opinion. Fair point. The, the reason why is because I was not going to dive into that dumpster fire of an NFC East this week. Yeah, we'll, 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 do that. we'll do that in about a week or so. You know, let our mental brains after at least a week of minicamp, we'll let that go. Yeah. Trust me, we, we we need to be laser focused when it comes to that because just with all the Team USA BS that's been going on in the last couple of days, our focus may be off a little bit. Just just just, just a tad, you know. It's bit. fine. Yeah, no, it's 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 totally fine. We'll figure it out. But you know, like I said, you guys just appreciate the support. You know, wherever we can get it. Thanks for the support, and we will see you guys later this week. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's it. 
Daniels. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.